Morning, everyone. We was out praying outside just now and on the floor. They've been there a few weeks now. But um, there was a load of balloons out there in that little room just out there, all lying on the floor. And it suddenly came to me, the party's over and these are deflated. And I thought to myself, with our God, the party's going on and we're inflated inflated and we're filled we should be filled with the holy spirit this morning as we've come together to praise and worship in god but it's wonderful isn't it yeah life is like that many parties once the party's over uh i mean steve in revelation speaking reading that from revelation this morning that's the time when the party will never end it will never end it's already started for us, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And I thought to myself, I sometimes feel like those balloons, deflated. Sometimes we feel with issues of life, we feel deflated. And I just trust this morning that um, that's my bones, mate. It's not the microphone. <laughs> You know what I mean. And I was preparing this morning, I, I, when I started reading this passage, I thought to myself, I don't really find this passage very inspirational. Um, Jesus condemning the Pharisees around him, and Jesus is speaking judgment on their attitude and the things that they were doing. I thought, oh dear. And as I was coming towards the end of my preparation, uh, the Lord dropped into my mind, I want to tell you what I want you to aim this morning, and I hope I will aim there. It's just a little verse in Psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord. I thought this is the spirit of Antichrist. Many of the people were against Jesus, especially the religious authorities. They just couldn't hack him. They couldn't receive him. They couldn't think anything of him. And we know the situation. Eventually, they said, away with this man, crucify him. And we have this just wonderful privilege this morning to not be like those people and not to be, have that attitude, but to delight ourselves in the Lord. And uh, I'll come to that just a little bit later. But where were we last week? Steve was preaching. Uh, a woman cried out in response to Jesus' growing ministry amongst the people. And she cried out, oh, what a blessing it was to have the privilege of bringing someone like Jesus into the world. Jesus and his ministry was going and he saw him to be the wonderful man that he was. And he, he, she focused on, oh, what a wonderful mother to have such a son like that. And Steve explained very clearly to us uh, about where that was going and that whilst it was good to celebrate motherhood, the whole point of the story that Jesus was very great. And in that story, um, there was a very prophetic deliberation in Mary, the mother of Jesus, being the one who was highly favoured. But there was simply a submissive obedience by Mary to what the angel said to her. Uh, and uh, we read it in Luke 1. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And that underscored where Steve finished last week when Jesus said, blessed rather 
are those who hear the word of God and do it. And I think that's always a challenge for us, is to hear the word of God and do it. And yet, the stories in the New Testament is saturated with people who hear the word of God and do it. And they find it to be positive and a blessing. Take, for example, the fishermen who caught nothing that night. And Jesus, well, let your net down on the other side of the boat. So they let their net down on the other side of the boat and they caught great fish. They heard the word of God and they did it. It's saturated. Peter, when they had no tax money, Jesus said, go, go to the lake and catch the fish and you'll find the money in his mouth. He did what Jesus said and they were able to pay their tax money. In many occasions, Jesus was in conversation with people and he said, well, you go and do likewise. You've heard what I said, now go and do it. And so the Bible is saturated by people who did the word of God when they heard what it was. But to end that story, Jesus sort of brought mere sentimentality back down to earth. It was this far greater blessing of both hearing the word of God and obeying it, which characterized and set apart the true family of God this morning. And it's always going to be a challenge for us as the true family of God to not only hear the word of God and do it. Believe and be baptized was Jesus' words. Hearing the word of God and doing it. Preaching the gospel, going to all the, all the world, preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the commission to the church we had. Hearing the word of God and doing it. Francis Chan said, don't fall into the trap of studying the Bible without doing what it says. Don't fall into that trap. It's a practical book. It's full of things to do in it. But we need to move on from there to this morning. So as we move on, it was clear that within the crowds that pressed around Jesus, he had skeptics, critics, opponents, enemies, and traitors. And within this developing spirit of Antichrist, there came a demand for a sign to absolutely convince us. So, as we look at, I believe it was the Pharisees and those supporters of them, who said, we want a sign. Now, the first thing we could say is Jesus had already performed so many signs which made his person and story so believable, so acceptable. And yet there's this challenge of Antichrist against him. And uh, the point here in this text is that not that they wanted a sign, but they demanded a sign. They demanded a sign. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, um, he said, well, why don't you command these stones to become bread? And that wasn't necessarily a problem with that. Jesus could have done that if he wanted it. But he wasn't to do it at Satan's bidding. That was the point, which is the point with us sometimes in life. Sometimes he tells us to do something, and maybe it's not right, but it's from the wrong source. Demand. They demanded a sign. They kept on saying, we want more, it's not enough. 
I can't believe it. Show me a bit more. Which is the point where we come in now, in a part of the story where Jesus actually takes uh, some examples from Old Testament scripture to actually, well, you've, you've had enough, you've had sufficient evidence. What, what, what more do you need? What more do you need? And sometimes we live there where faith is concerned and trust in Jesus. We always want that little bit more. We keep just prosecuting it a little bit more when the evidence is simply before us. And in that sense, Jesus had said earlier, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Any of us may sit on the fence of indecision, but in the end, but in the end, we need, we will be found one side or the other. There's no neutral ground. You say, well, you're being black and white. Um, not really. The choice, the indecision not to accept Jesus Christ as our personal saviour that's a no, as far as God is concerned. Because the word says we should seek God with all our heart. That, that, is the, that is the challenge to the whole of humanity. Not just us as the church. That is to seek God with all our heart. And when we seek, the evidence is there. But to keep on prosecuting that distance away from God, that... Jesus said, well, you're not with me because there's sufficient evidence there for anyone who's seeking me. This sceptical search by the Pharisees for tangible evidence is rejected by Jesus for the demand for a sign spells the end of faith. The demand for a sign spells the end of faith. Our Bibles, or the books we call our Bibles, with all the text in it, is the total evidence of God. It's the total evidence for God. It's all that we need to find God as we reach out to him, because it's the truth that we need. And so as Jesus leaves the nation of Israel in no doubt of lost opportunities, to fulfill their own glorious destiny, he also leaves them in no doubt that they have no hope outside of the one they are rejecting. It is a very clear message from the Bible as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Except by me. One way, one way only. And as they asked for a sign, I thought to myself, well, are signs necessarily wrong? And there is no, they're not. There is, though, a place for honest doubt. Believing in Jesus is not always clear and it doesn't always satisfy our intellect 
it doesn't always answer our questions. And there is always a place for honest doubt. But at the end of honest doubt, there's always an answer that satisfies. There's always an answer that satisfies. Take the example Nicodemus. He's a guy, he's a Pharisee, well, he's a ruling Pharisee, actually, and um, he seems not to be part of the whole Pharisee group because he came to Jesus at night and he said to Jesus, no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Here's an honest doubter. And Jesus goes through dialogue with him, explaining to him about being born again of the Spirit of God, fundamentally important for a Jew who then wanted to follow Jesus, because you need to leave the law that you've been following and the rules of getting where you think you want to get to, but you need to be born of the Spirit of God, that which challenges your heart and challenges your mind and brings you to an ultimate conclusion that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Another guy, Thomas, said, unless I can experience the true marks of crucifixion, I will not believe. These wounds were indelible signs to Thomas. Unless I see those wounds, I will not believe. Some people call Thomas the doubter, but he was an honest doubter. He was only wanting what the others had already seen already, to have that same privilege, demonstration of the truth. And Jesus said, well, come on then, Thomas, here I am. Look at my hands, look at my side, thrust your hand into them. And Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. So if those indelible signs could bring such a submission of heart and will from someone who came with an honest doubt. That's an amazing thing to happen. That's a work of the Holy Spirit with us. Then again, when the Pharisees witnessed Jesus on earth, forgiving a man's sins, he signed it off by saying, in order that you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man, get up and walk. So signs are part of God's revelation to us. But if we ask for more than what God can give us or intends to give us to bring us to a knowledge of the truth, then we're overstepping the mark. And Jesus said, that isn't, you're part of an evil generation if you're trying to reach out for more than God has already given us. And God has already given us his wonderful word. And it's such an amazing word. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, it was a particular sign to demonstrate that he was the resurrection and the life. When we hand our lives over to Jesus, there is a continual flow of promised evidence and confirmation that grounds our faith. For example, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's supernatural. That's something you can't get by intellect. It's something you can't prove. But it's something that God does supernaturally with our spirit. And I think it's such an amazing thing. 
because that gives us confidence in God. Confidence of what he's doing with us. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. That's so amazing. That's a dynamic, supernatural thing that happens within us. So wonderful is the impact of faith when we simply trust Jesus for his word to be real for ourselves. It all says the peace that Jesus brings or imparts to us, to the human soul, is another sure supernatural sign. The peace of God actually passes all understanding. That tells us it's beyond something which is intellectual. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a dynamic. You can't actually find it difficult to explain to someone else. But it's there. And a true believer in Jesus will know it's there because it's a peace which passes all understanding. So these signs are not to be thrown out the window. God does these things to make himself known to us. And that's so wonderful, is it? So in our passage today, Jesus takes two records from the Old Testament to underscore what he's saying. For these Jews, they'd had sufficient evidence. And sometimes God has given us sufficient that we might believe. And we're saying, well, just a little bit more. But it's actually trying to move away. Not, I can't, but I won't. Not, I can't, but I won't. Someone once said, the grace of God can be so persistently refused that I will not becomes I cannot. Because we have wills. Now wills need to be open to God. The sign of Jonah was the first thing that Jesus brought into the story. What is this? What is this sign? And... Um, Many commentators will say, well, it was, <clears throat> it was a picture embedded in the Old Testament of Jesus um, dying and being raised to life again from the dead. But I thought to myself, at that time, that hadn't happened to Jesus. So I wondered about people that would be unknown to them. But the sign of Jonah was that he was a prophet. He was a messenger sent by God. And they... Well, first of all, he was disobedient and God sent him, as we know the story, but eventually he went. And those people responded to Jonah. But the people around him, the Pharisees, weren't responding to the message. He said, well, your people didn't respond then, so what's going to happen now? The people that did respond in those days were the Gentiles, those people of Nineveh. The sign of Jonah, he was a prophet. He was a messenger sent by God. And his messenger was true. As he went to those Ninevites and told them to repent, they did repent, which is something that the people around him who disbelieved in Jesus needed to do in order to meet with God, in order to go forward their lives with God. 
The other account is about the Queen of Sheba. And um, I just want us to meditate through 1 Kings, the passage in 1 Kings 10. So if you've got a Bible or a phone or something, and um, you could just go to 1 Kings 10, because I believe this is the part that the, um, the Lord would have us to learn this morning. From Psalm 37, I will, uh, he, the psalmist says, delight yourselves in the Lord. Delight yourselves in the Lord. It's something we find difficult to do. Now, it's when the Queen of Sheba, and Jesus used this as an example, and I thought we could better use this morning looking at this rather than going further into the other parts of the story. Because Jesus said, the Queen of Sheba went to Solomon. So let's read through this story in 1 Kings 10, 1 to 13. I think if we take an overall assessment of these verses we're going to read together, we find that this Queen of Sheba who went to wise Solomon, she found that a delightful experience to have visited this man. And I'm sure she was just as the disciples on the road away from Jerusalem to Emmaus, that when Jesus was speaking them, they said to themselves, didn't our heart burn within us as he spoke to us on the way? He infected us. He infected us and affected us as we heard him talk the wonderful things from the Old Testament. Verse one. Now, when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, and I thought that was just wonderful. You have the meeting of royalties here, and you have the journey that she made, and the journey she made. Now, the physical journey that she made, in a sense, was a tremendous thing. We read that she went with a whole train of camels. She went loaded with gold and spices and gifts. And um, she went to meet with another royalty. That was the journey that she made. But the journey went further than that. It wasn't only a physical journey. It was a spiritual journey. And we're here this morning, and we've made the physical journey here, but when we meet together as the people of God, when we meet together as the people of God, we actually make another journey, a journey to Jesus. A journey to the, the spouse spiritual journey is in worship, which we will do soon later. So that there's two journeys that we can make, the physical journey, and both of those journeys were both affecting that she made. They had the meeting of royalties. And when we come together as a kingdom of priests, we meet with the king of kings. You have a meeting of royalties. And we need to understand when we come together, this is just no mere meeting. It's just no mere party. This is a sovereign gathering. We're meeting in the name of the Lord. And there we read it. She heard of the fame Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. And that was a delight to her. And so often we meet together and we celebrate the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is the strong tower 
The righteous run into it, and they are saved. This is a meeting of delights. She made a journey, and she made a journey. So when we come together, let's make the other journey after we've made the first journey. And sometimes I wonder, and I hope you accept this from me, you don't hear many voices here in our time of worship. Could I challenge you to praise the Lord, to speak out his name, to say something wonderful to Jesus, even that I love you, Jesus. Let our journey be spiritual as well as physical. Let us come to the throne of his grace and lift up his name together and celebrate his goodness and praise his name. This is a royal gathering. We meet together in his name. Delight yourself in the Lord. This is something the Pharisees weren't doing and they hadn't found it, but we have found it in Jesus. Reading on, she came to test him with hard questions. When we speak to the Lord, what do we actually, what do we actually say to him? Sometimes we speak about one anothering and confessing our sins and um, talking to one another about our personal, our failures and that. But what about telling God about them? I think before we do any one anothering, we need to do this with God himself. She tested him with hard questions. And we need any questions we have, we need to come to him. Lord, why am I so angry? Why am I so miserable when I get up in the morning? Why can't I get on with that person? Why can't I seek to do that? Why can't I help doing that? He's our counsellor. The Holy Spirit is our counsellor. He wants to bring us to the place of freedom. She tested him with hard questions. And this dialogue goes on. We go on that she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. We have a God like that. She tested him with hard questions and she told him all that was on her mind. It's our relationship building with our King of Kings to tell him what's on our mind, to open up our hearts to him. That's a very personal relationship. And I think one of the, part, one of the dynamics of delighting in the Lord is creating that personal relationship, knowing him as Father, knowing that we're his child, and opening up our hearts, our lives, and our minds to him. It's very clear that... Um, this was a trade, this trade affair going on here as well. But you see, she brought so much abundance. He had so much abundance. She took away an abundance as they met together. And we must remember that when we come together, you know, as the children of God, as the church of the given, this is the house of abundance. And it's the house of business. There was a trade arrangement going on here as well. Although she just gave away, and he gave away, that abundance is present with us 
today. God wants to give to us, but he also wants us to give to him. The abundance. She more or less took away the same as she brought. It's amazing, isn't it? You see the dynamic that's going on here. She took away as much as she brought. The word fellowship in the New Testament means giving, taking, and sharing. And when we come together, we give to God our praise and our worship. We give our hearts, our minds, but we also take away from what we've brought. And there's that idea. So these two royals had a sense of fellowship. They were giving, they were taking, and they were sharing to him. In verse 6, just going on and very quickly, and she said to the king, the report was true. Think of this in the context of the Pharisees. The report is true that I heard hearing the word of God and doing it. I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. A journey and a journey. So there was the physical journey and the spiritual journey. So she made this, the report was true that I heard of your words and of your wisdom. And I can guarantee any one of you or people I talk to in the week, I can guarantee coming to Jesus, you will find abundance. An abundant supply. Whether it's abundance of understanding or the joy that you might have in your heart or the experience of happiness that he gives when we come to know him. In verse 8, she said, Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. And I'm just trying to picture this. She's looking around and she sees the servant standing there continually. I thought to myself, oh, I just wondered if they got bored with standing there listening to his wisdom. But yeah, they might. But it's this persistence in their, in their employ. They were standing there and listening to his wisdom. She saw these people that they were happy. <laughs> I've told you this story before. And a um, long, long time ago, it's a bit of a funny story, really. Um, just up from Beacon Centre, um, we were doing a job in a man's house, and um, I went to survey the job, and then my two guys went to do the job afterwards. And he said to them, he says, your dad's a miserable old git. In myself, I felt perfectly happy, but it's the way I came across. I don't know. It might make me think about that, but it's true. But um, it's just one of those things that happened. Uh, maybe I was taken up with serious... I'm a serious guy, anyway. Um, my, my Peter said to me, why don't you smile, Dad? It's, it's not because I don't feel smiling inside. It's just that I find social things difficult sometimes. 
But there we go. Happy are your people. When people come into us as beacon, do they find us a happy people? I know charismatic churches are known as happy, clappy people, but is that that joy flowing out from us? That the Lord is good. He is amazing. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Delight yourselves in the Lord. We need, there's more to Jesus than him just being our saviour. There's a good book to read if you want to find a little bit more. Seeing and Savouring Jesus by John Piper. And I believe this is a point we need to come to. He's more than our saviour, just celebrating him, thanking him for saving us. We need to just pursue like the Queen of Sheba did. She'd come to see and to hear what she'd heard in her own land and to celebrate his goodness. Her men had happy. In verse 4, when the Queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his serving, their clothing. What struck her about their clothing? Was it that special? There's a spiritual analogy and application here that as believers we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not our own righteousness, but our clothing is special because we haven't made it ourselves. We haven't put it on, we haven't bought it, we've been given it. That's standing. We're clothed in robes of righteousness. She was taken up with their clothing. His cupbearers and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. Sometimes we need to unfold or uncover the wonder of knowing Jesus as what he's done for us. He took her, obviously, to the house of the Lord and the burnt offerings with what the Israelites did at that time. His act of worship was demonstrated to her as a Gentile. And as people of all sorts of descriptions we meet, do they see... Do they notice our worship for Jesus or is our talk just full of jokes and unmeaningful conversation? Do we speak or honour Jesus in our lives? Do our children see that we worship Jesus? Do they see that we notice him? What is our burnt offering in our context at home? And it finishes up in that end of verse 5. There was no more breath in her. Well, it's a wow moment for her as she came and she saw the wonders of Solomon. So I just wanted to imprint that over this this morning. Something we need to pursue. Delight ourselves in the Lord. Delight ourselves in the Lord. I just want to finish with a quote when I can find it I'll read it out of here be quicker this is a book which can actually take us a little bit further to delight ourselves and I've had it several years now Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell 
It's, it's deep and it's biblical. It's apologetics. And um, <coughs> this is what a guy said. Philip Schaff said, This Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Mohammed, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since, and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. Delight yourselves in the Lord. That is just the one-line statement I want to leave you this morning. As the Queen of Sheba went to Solomon. And Jesus used that example in the context of people finding nothing in him. But the Holy Spirit would want us to find everything in Jesus this morning. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father. Busha Madala.